Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All right, just a few announcements this morning. Um, you know, Scott touched on some people we need to be praying for. There's a lot, of, a lot of information going on in your bulletins we want you guys to be aware of. Um, of course, we've got sermon notes on the back. We've got prayer lists on the inside. We want you guys to take these home, go over the prayer list, pray for these people, pray for everyone that, that Scott announced this morning, and just know that there are people here in the church that have unspoken requests um, that don't want to be in the bulletin. You know, everybody, it seems like, has something going on, so please just keep our congregation in prayer. Um, other things to note in the bulletin, uh, small groups. We've got a lot of small groups going on, a lot of Bible studies going on. Sunday evening seminar, Scott just wrapped his up last week, and that's going on a little hiatus, a little break for a little while. Um, and I think he's going to do more sometime soon. Um, and as we get information on that, we'll let you know. Um, Tuesday, Matt has his small group back in the student center. Uh, he was originally going to be out of town this week, so he, he passed the buck to me to lead that. I don't think he's going to be out of town now. Um, I think he's, he's still around. He's not feeling too well this morning, um, but he still stuck me with it. So we'll still, uh, we'll still play the Rotten Tomatoes game, and, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll all learn something together Tuesday. Um, this past Thursday, uh, the women's Bible study kicked off. Um, I believe they're going over Amos. Um, I think Alice K. may still have a few books back there. If you want to get plugged into that, see her. And that is at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. So if you can't make it to one, try to make it to the other. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on there. And then, of course, we have the men's Bible study on Saturday mornings at 8. I normally can't make it to that, but I've been a few times, and it's, uh, it's been a real treat. Um, the last thing in the bulletin is the little kid slip. So what we are preaching on up here and what we're teaching in the back all coincide. So if you have children that are back in the children's ministry, this is a tool for you to be able to do discipleship with your kids. You know, we get them for 35, 40 minutes a week, one day a week. You guys are with them all the time. You know, we, we can't do it by ourselves. So we want you guys to use this, and we try to give you the tools because we know it can be intimidating to try to teach someone, especially our kids, about the Bible. And since, you know, you're sitting in here, they're sitting in class, everybody's on the same page, and we've, we've given you guys some tools to, to do that, to disciple your children, because if we're not, the world will, and, you know, we live in a very broken world that, try to, that tries to get us to sway away from God. Um... I think that's it as far as announcements. Play practice, yes, thank you. Um, parents, if your kids have signed up for the Christmas program, please be here early on Sunday mornings because at 10.30 they are doing play practice back where they do the galaxy, sometimes back here in the back, so please get your kids here early. If you didn't get your kids signed up, uh, we're not going to kick them out. We're not going to exclude them. Come talk to Kayla or Jenny, and we'll get, we'll get, them, get them hooked up. All right, so this morning I had Miss Yates read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, um, and that's really just kind of a brief overview of what I'm going to be preaching on this morning, which is actually Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Um, now I'm going to be real honest. I, uh, I'm still new to this preaching thing. I think this is my fifth or sixth sermon. 
Um, so I still struggle with sermon writing. I still struggle with being nervous coming up here. Um, and I'm going to tell you, some sermons, like the first one, I had a lot of time to read on that, a lot of time to prepare for that, and that sermon just hit me like a ton of bricks, like I was ready to go. And then other sermons I've preached, I feel like I'm waist-deep in mud, and I don't know where to go with it. And I'm going to be honest, this was one of them. So uh, at least at first, you know, as, as, I, as I went along and uh, was trying to prepare for this, it got a little easier. And what I normally do and my wife got on to me last night. She said I went to this spiel way too long, so I'm going to try to make it a little bit quicker because nothing says love like tearing you down at anniversary dinner about your, your sermon that you just preached. <laughs> so, what I normally do, I'll read the scripture because, I mean, that's kind of given. Then I'll read a commentary or two, and then I'll, I'll try to look up some videos or podcasts from some preachers that I trust you know, not those guys on TV that are trying to sell you a faith seed and say, you know, send me $100 and you'll wake up with a Rolls Royce in your, in your driveway in the morning. Not, not those guys, but, you know, good biblical teaching, preaching pastors. And then I'll, I'll take all that information that I get and I'll condense it down and I'll bring it to you and try to present it in a way that I hope and pray affects the congregation in a positive way that helps you with your walk with Christ. So as I was preparing for this, I couldn't find anything. There's no, no videos, there's no sermons, there's no breakdowns of the text. So I was kind of panicking. You know, I'm in the driver's seat. I got three and a half, four weeks to prepare for this sermon, and I don't have my pit crew, so to speak. So I'm panicking. So I go to Matt. I'm like, Matt, what do I do to better understand the text to prepare for this sermon? Matt being Matt looks at me and says, well, just learn Greek and Hebrew. So I was like, well, I, I, got, I got three, three weeks to get this. So I, I don't think that's going to be a, uh, a plausible idea. So I done the next best thing. I went home and I read the English translation. Because I figure if those guys are smart enough to translate it from Greek and Hebrew into English, they do a heck of a lot better job than I would. So with that, I read six or seven different, uh, six or seven different translations, really trying to get a grip on what was being said. And at the end of that, I, I kind of had the, the skeleton of, of my sermon, but I really didn't have the meat. I didn't know where to go with it. So over the last few weeks, you know, I'd be on my way to work or whatever, and I would have something pop in my head. I'd be listening to a podcast, listening to music, whatever. And I'd shoot myself a little text so I wouldn't forget. So I've compiled all my little notes over the last few weeks trying to prepare this sermon for you guys, and I think I finally got it. At least I hope so. So before I jump into all that, I want to give you guys the short and sweet of what happens in Numbers 13 and 14 to give you an idea of, of where I'm going with what I'm about to say. So we've been learning over the last few weeks, you know, Moses has led Israel out of Egypt. Uh, they, they crossed through the Red Sea. They've been going through the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land. And, and up to this point, you know, God has been leading them by a cloud at day, a pillar of fire by night, and, you know, they've had a few bumps along the way. So they get up to this place called Kadesh, and it's, it's right on the border of Canaan, and Canaan is the promised land. And they get up there, and they're, they're kind of leery about going, so Moses sends out 12 spies, and the, the 12 spies go out into the wilderness, or go out into the promised land, and they just survey the land. They're going out to see, you know, is is the, the ground fertile for crops? Um, 
Is there going to be enough room for our flocks? Are, are there people there? If there are, how are their cities? Are they heavily fortified? Um, is, is there food? Things like that. So they go out. They're out for 40 days, and they come back with great news. They say, hey, listen, you know, the, the fruit there that grows is bigger than you can even imagine. The, the ground is fertile. Crops will grow crazy. Plenty of room for our flocks. It's great. It truly is the promised land of milk and honey. So everyone's pumped, right? So, you know, they're, they're so excited they've made it this far, and they're like, they're ready to go. But then the spies tell them the bad news. And the bad news is that there are cities there, there are people there, and these guys are huge, and their cities are heavily fortified. And they, they say, you know, there's, there's no way. These guys are way bigger than we are. You know, we're, we're certain that if we try to take this land that they'll, they'll kill us. And at this point, two, two of the spies spoke up, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, listen, everything that we have said is true. Everything we've said is true, but we don't need to worry, right? God has got us this far. We can continue to push on. God's not going to let us fail. He promised us this land. And you would think that would rally the troops. You know, you got two guys standing up saying, no, let's go. But in reality, that just angered the Israelites. And at that point, the other ten spies only exaggerated even more. They said, these guys are like the Nephilim. They're like giants. They're huge. They'll surely crush us. And when they do, they'll take our children as plunder. Aaron and Moses have led us here to die. You know, then they go on to say that we should, we should ditch these fools and, and head back to Egypt, go back into slavery. You know, like a dog returns to its vomit. They want to go back to what they know. They don't want to push into the promised land. And... The, the Israelites begin to shout, and they get even more angry, and they want to stone Aaron and Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And as we see in Leviticus, stoning is the punishment for a great religious crime, which is kind of ironic that they want to stone the four, but they're the only four that are being loyal to God. All the rest of them are rebelling against God. So it's kind of ironic that they want to punish them for, for what they're actually doing. So, at this point, Aaron and Moses, they just, they fall to the ground. You know, they're face down on the ground before God because just hearing the blasphemy that, that all the Israelites are saying that we want to go back into slavery. And at this point, God shows up and, and asks Moses, how long will my people treat me with contempt? After all the miraculous signs they have witnessed, the, the plagues in Egypt, uh, the, the parting of the Red Sea, giving them the Ten Commandments, leading them through the wilderness, I mean, they've really watched all of this unfold, and they get right to the finish line, and they're like, you know what? These giants, are, they're too big. These cities are too strong. There's no way. God's going to lead us out here to die. We should go back to slavery. And God's angry, and, and, and rightfully so. You know, he's, he's done all this for his people, and they still disregard him. Um, you know, as I was reading this, I kind of imagined you know, uh, uh, going on a family vacation. You know, dad's driving the station wagon and, and the kids in the back seat are going wild and, you know, but the trip's gone all right thus far. But then they get right up, right up to the vacation and the kids go absolutely ballistic. And, and Aaron and Moses, they're like the mom that just, that watch the kids go crazy and, and they know dad's about to explode. So God's like, 
I'm going to destroy these people, and I'm going to start over with Moses and, and your kin. And Moses steps in. He intercedes on their behalf, and he says, no, listen, please, please don't do this. You know, you've led your people out of Egypt. What will the rest of the world think if you destroy your people? And I don't think God was truly going to destroy his people. Those of us that our parents know when our kids act up and they go absolutely crazy some days, we just, you know, we, we lose it. But we, we love our kids, right? At least most days. But, you know, God decides that, all right, I, I won't destroy them, but they're going to suffer for their sins. So for the next 40 years, a year for each day that the spies are in the wilderness, these people will wander in the wilderness, and they, they will die in the wilderness. And the, and the children, their children will inherit the land, inherit the promised land, alongside with, with Joshua and Caleb because they were trusting in God. Now, what's interesting here is that God grants the children the promised land, which shows that God does have compassion for children. But one of the commentaries I was, I was reading stated that the adults would have been of age to fight in a military-like setting. So these, these people, the Israelites, disobeyed their leading commander's orders. And they, they alluded this to treason, and we know that the punishment for treason is death. So all of those that disobeyed God were going to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then once they all died off, their corpses would lay in the wilderness, their children would go on to inherit the promised land. And that was kind of a, God kind of giving them a little jab because he said, you know, if they tried to push on, the, the Israelites said, if we try to push on, they'll take our children as plunder. And then God sends them, tells them that you're going to wander into the wilderness and sends them back towards the Red Sea, which is on their way back to Egypt. But he leads them through the, the wilderness for the next 40 years. So Moses then relays this message back to the Israelites saying, hey, you know, God's mad. And we're going to have to wander the wilderness for the next 40 years. And, and those of you that disobey God are, are going to die in the wilderness. And of course... All the Israelites are filled with grief. Um, and and the, the next morning, they, they get up and they say, all right, God, you know, we're sorry. We're ready to take our promised land now. We're, we're ready to go. We trust you now. And so they go out and they try to take the promised land without the Spirit of God leading them. And they're promptly defeated and pushed back. And, and once again, this... I kept coming up with this analogy that it's like a, like a child that gets in trouble for acting up. They get grounded, and they get you know something that they love taken away, and they immediately feel remorse, and they begin to apologize in the hopes that they'll get what they want right then and there. And then, you know, as I think about that, I think of the dynamic that I have with my daughter and how she's the same way. You know, she'll do something, she'll get in trouble, and we'll ground her, we'll take away her iPad or whatever, and then she immediately apologizes, thinking that she's going to get her way again. And on that note, I think about myself, and uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to look at God and say, hey, sorry I was such a, a knucklehead all those years, because you know, I feel like the, the dynamic that I have with my daughter is the same dynamic that I have with God. 
know, God loves me very much, but he sees me screw up every day, and he's like, come on, Bubba, are you serious? Like, let's, let's pull it together. Let's rein it in. And I feel like I, I say that to Carter all the time. I'm like, come on, sis, you know better than that. And as, as a parent, I see that dynamic that I have with my daughter, and I, I see how much God mirrors that dynamic as our Heavenly Father. So, like I said, after, after they were driven back, the Israelites had tried to push on. After they were driven back, they were, they were sent into the wilderness, and they wandered there for 40 years. So all that being said, essentially Israel got right up to the finish line. They could see the grand prize, and they said, you know what's, what's better than the promised land? Going right back into slavery. We can't trust God. Not that he's done anything for us the whole time we've been in Egypt and, and leaving Egypt. They get right to the end, and they turn, they turn their nose up to it. And ain't that something? You know, they've witnessed God do all these signs and wonders day in and day out. And they get right to the end, and they let ten fellows persuade them into, into turning around and going back. You know, they watched God wipe out Egypt with the plagues. They watched the sea open up, and they crossed on dry ground. And once they got across, they turned back and looked and saw the Egyptians coming after them, and God closed, on, closed the sea in on them. And then they're being led through the wilderness, and they have food and, and water, and you know they get the Ten Commandments, and while Moses is gone, they build a golden calf, and then God's like, you know, what, what are you doing? And they, they build the tabernacle, and they have the Spirit of God with them all the time. But yet, they still disregard God right there at the finish line. You know, they, they see these guys that would give the 96 Chicago Bulls a run for their money and say, nah, those guys are too tough. We don't want to get dunked on. We don't want to die. We want to go back to what we know. We want to go back to slavery. And it's kind of ironic. That's kind of an analogy how we are with sin in our life right? Now maybe maybe you read this and you think, man, those Israelites are a bunch of idiots. You know, what are they doing? Just time and time again we see them you know, just spitting in the face of God and we think, man, I'd be more like Caleb. I'd be more like Joshua. I would push on. I'd be for God. Really? Would you have been? The question is, are you really trusting God right now? Now, it's easy to sit here and, and nod your head and say, yeah, I trust God. But, you know, when the, when the rubber meets the road, when the chili meets the cheese, things are drastically different, is it not? You know, when it comes to our health, to our finance, finances, to our job, to, to our loved ones, to our church, whatever, does, does it stress you out? Or are you truly trusting God with it? You know, there's a difference in being concerned and taking things in prayer, but, and, and what I'm saying, do you, do you worry? Does it consume you? Do you panic over it? Do you get anxious about it? Are you truly trusting God? You know, I was, I was talking to my wife not that long ago about a conversation that she had had with Megan. And Megan told her, she said, hey, listen, you are the children's minister here. And that's the most important job. The, the future of our church is in your hands. And Kayla said, she's like, Nathan, when she said that, I about puked. She's like, I am not 
qualified for this. And I said, great. Now you know how Scott Carter and I feel when Matt and Scott approached us and said, you fellows are going to take over the church one day. You know, Matt's been saying that for a while, but that I was going to be his predecessor here at the church. He's been saying it, and he's been, been training me here and there, but it never really sank in until recently. You know, we really started buckling down, and he's really been training us and, and taking me and Scott under his wing, and we've been learning with, with Ralph and, and Scott Rawlings on, on how to do funerals and different things like that. And it's a lot to take in, and believe me, I know that I'm not ready, and I think Scott Carter will tell you the same thing, that he's, he's not ready either. But it's a, it's a lot to take in. And Kayla said, you know, she fired back, and she's like, Nathan, I'm not kidding. I am going to be sick. I'm not qualified to do this. And I told her, well, dummy, neither am I. We have the same level of schooling, you know. And that's when it hit me. Just like the bus that, that hit me last year when I least expected it, the lesson to be learned by this, by this scripture, by this sermon, is trusting God, right? You know, here we are, two people that have watched God time and time again prove himself, even in the midst of our most difficult times of our life. The same God that has built us up and now has laid the responsibility of taking the church over at our feet and we're standing there like, there's no way we can overcome this. You know, we're underqualified. We're under-experienced. You know, we're still learning the ropes. We're not ready to take this on. We'll, we'll never be ready, you know? I mean, Scott's been doing this since Jesus was here. You know, he's had, he's had a long time to do this. He's, he's got it down pat. You know, I, this is my fifth sermon. Kayla's been the children's minister for, what, about a year now, two years? You know, we're still newbies at this. And it's a lot of responsibility. And we're acting like the Israelites. We're acting like this burden, or, or really this blessing, is too big. And our God doesn't have our back in it. You know, and I, I sat there and I thought about it, and I told Kayla, I said, are we going to press on like Joshua and Caleb and trust God in the midst of this? Or are we going to be like the ten and step back and say it's too big, we're just peons, in, in the grand scheme of this, and there's no way we can take on this church. You know, but it's, but it's true. We like to look at the Bible and read its stories and think to ourselves that we'll always be on the right side of the story. But in reality, chances are we're, we're not. Chances are we're not. You know, and this is, this is going to blow some of you away that you hear your pastor say this this morning. So uh, buckle up. I doubt God more than I trust him. And, and let, me, let me elaborate on that before you, know, you have, a, have a panic attack that your pastor just said that. But I, I don't. I just don't like to admit it. And I'm, I'm coming to you this morning, and I'm being transparent in that. And I bet if we were all really honest, we would all come to the same conclusion. I am constantly worrying about work. I have a very stressful job. I'm worrying about schedules. I'm worried about my employees. I'm worried about finances. I'm worried about my daughter, about my wife, about my, my health, my loved ones, my, my mom and dad, my brother, this church. I'm worried about all of you. I stress about these things rather than trust God. And it's a work in progress. 
You know, I'm, I'm constantly trading my trying for trusting and letting God do the rest. And, and Paul tells us in the fourth chapter of Philippians to not worry about anything, but rather pray about everything. We've got to have that faith. And, you know, and that's, that's how my, my grandma was. And I, I believe I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You know, my mamma Ruby, she was a... a <laughs> She was a woman of God, right? She, she raised all of her kids in the church. She brought all of her grandkids to church, all of her great-grandkids, all of her great-great-grandkids. You know, I mean, just she made sure we were all going, getting us all plugged into the church. And I'll, I'll never forget, she had, you know, quite a few health issues, but she was on blood thinners, and something as simple as a paper cut could be pretty detrimental to her. And uh, I remember one evening she had a nosebleed, she couldn't get it to stop. and She just plugged her nose and went and lay down and went to bed. And the next morning, my aunt stopped by to see how she was doing and, and seen it. And she's like, well, Mom, why didn't you call anybody? You know, you could have died. And she's like, well, I knew if it was my time, I'd wake up in the Lord's arms, in the arms of my Savior. And if I still had work to do here on earth, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be going back to the church. And I mean, that's how she was. That's how she lived her life up to the day that she passed away, she was still going to the church, scrubbing tables, doing Bible studies, whatever. Constantly, constantly just proving her, her faith. So how do we get to that level of trust? How do we trust God that much? You know, I've heard, heard people say, especially atheists or those that oppose Christianity, well, if God's real, just why doesn't he come down and show us all a miracle right here, right now, and I'll believe Well, I would say that's, that's not true. I mean, look at the Israelites. They were witnessing God day and night, every hour on the hour, witnessing God's miracles right at hand. And you know what? They were like, eh, this golden calf, it's, it seems pretty legit. This God that's provided for us thus far, giving us food, giving us water, leading us through the wilderness day and night, rescuing us from Egypt. No, this golden calf we made, that's, that's where it's at. So how do we get there? How do we get to that level of faith? You know, it can be intimidating, but I think it's really pretty simple. We pray. We read our Bible. We immerse ourselves in the Word. We have fellowship with other believers. And fellowship's just a churchy word for going out and getting a bite to eat with them and, and investing in one another, pouring into one another, reading the Bible together. Asking how they're doing. How can I pray for you? Just loving on them. You know, we build this relationship with, with God through prayer and through study, and we, we lean on our brothers and sisters and hold them accountable and hope that they do the same for us. You know, and it's, it's not easy. You know, sometimes, you know, you see that, that people do come to faith immediately overnight. But I, I would argue most of us are pretty stubborn people, and we don't like to do what God wants us to do. We want to do what we want to do. So it takes time. But I'm going to tell you right here, right now, that God is waiting for us with open arms saying, just lay it all on me. Lay it all on me. I got you. You know, I listen to a, uh, I listen to a podcast every morning on my way to work, and it's called The Briefing with Al Moeller. And he, he spends roughly 25, 30 minutes discussing 
worldview or world topics, world news from a Christian worldview. You know, Matt suggested I check it out, and it's, it's been really informative. And a couple weeks ago, he had brought up a fellow known as Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew had recently passed away, but that was his alias name. You know, he tried to fly under the radar because what he'd done for years, for a majority of his life, was smuggled Bibles into communist countries. He would smuggle Bibles in, into Russia where the Bibles banned, where he could be shot on sight for taking Bibles into these countries. And one interesting thing that stuck out to me the most was his prayer. You know, he, he would pray, God, I know that you can make blind eyes see, but I pray that you make seeing eyes blind. And he was talking about the soldiers that would search him as he was going into these countries with, with Bibles on them. He knew at any moment that he could die for his ministry, and he knew that God had his back. Because in Philippians, it tells us to live as Christ, to die is gain. So he had no fear. While he was here, he was going to do everything in his power to ensure that those people that didn't have access to a Bible did. And if he was to die in the midst of that ministry, he knew he would be with Christ. And that's some pretty tremendous faith, is it not? To look death in the face every day, knowing that you're going to stand before a soldier that could potentially shoot you on sight for having a Bible on you, let alone 10, 15, 20, 30 Bibles. And just, you know, walking into that without a care in the world, knowing that God's got you. So I guess the question is, why don't we trust God to that level? And I would say it's because we're prideful. Whether we think that we know better than God to the point where we believe that we don't need him, or we think our problems are too big for him, the trust issues we have are a result of our own pride. Not only that, it's easy to fall into peer pressure of the world. I mean, look, it only took 10 spies to sway all the Israelites into thinking that the creator of the universe didn't have their best intentions in mind. You know, look at the culture that we live in right now. We're surrounded by a culture that tells us that, you know, either God's not real or, or if he is, he doesn't care. You know, that we should just live for ourselves, that we should manifest our own success, that we should just will it into existence. And if that's not the biggest crock of crap I've ever heard, I don't know what is. If, if we truly believe that, the only thing we're going to manifest for ourselves is a mess, if we believe all that nonsense. If we don't put our trust in God, put our trust in Jesus and his saving grace, we ain't got a chance. Right? You know, we can, we can push ourselves to go above and beyond, and we, we might, you know, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and keep pushing forward. But at the end of the day, we can't save ourselves. We can't manifest anything. You know, God goes to, goes to Job, and he's like, can you make a mountain out of nothing? No. If we don't trust in Jesus and his saving grace, we ain't got a chance. Now, I've got, I've got one more thing, and I'll wrap this up and get you all out of here so you guys can get to lunch and meet everyone else there. You know, my wife and I, we, over the last couple of weeks, we, uh, we just finished the new Netflix special on Jeffrey Dahmer. And if you haven't watched it, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's pretty gruesome. It's pretty, pretty brutal. 
And from my understanding, the, the, the series is a pretty accurate representation of what actually happened, which is surreal to even begin to fathom that that happened. And if you don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer was, he was a, a cannibalistic serial killer in the, in the late, nine, or late 80s, early 90s. But if, it's interesting, if, if you've done any research on him or you've, you've watched the series yourself, you'll see while he was in prison after he got caught, he supposedly comes to faith and he gets baptized. And that's pretty prolific in, in his story. And he was eventually, eventually killed in prison, but his baptism was a, was a pretty big deal. Now, can I say that he genuinely came to faith in Jesus and his baptism was true? Or was it, you know, just for show? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I don't know. Jeffrey Dahmer, I don't know the truth in that. I don't know where his heart was. But I'm going to tell you right here, right now, despite everything that man did, as horrible as it was, if he truly put his faith in Jesus Christ, and truly got baptized as an outward expression of an inward heart change, then everything that he done was nailed to the cross with Jesus. You know, if there's no hope for him, for Jeffrey Dahmer, there's no hope for me, because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying I'm, I'm munching on my neighbor like he was, <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, we're all guilty of sin, and sin to God is sin. Now, there might be different earthly consequences for our sins, right? You know, lying and murder, that's two drastically different things. But in the eyes of God, we've still sinned against him. We've still committed treason against him. And the punishment for treason is death. And when you commit treason against the most holy God, we all are guilty of that. We're all guilty of committing that treason against him. We deserve hell. It's true. But God has given us this gracious gift of forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, when we let our guard down and we say, okay, God, I've got these trust issues, but I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus, I, and I hope and pray that you got me. We can rest assured that he does. Jesus is our, our only hope for salvation. God's grace is infinitely greater than our sins, and we see that to be true in the resurrected Christ. All of hell could not hold him down. His grace abounds. And that doesn't mean that we should go on sinning because God's grace is greater than that. But we can, we can take solace in the fact to know that none of our sins, there's nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love of God. All we have to do is just turn to him and believe. You know, we can rest assured that Jesus will be our perfect intercessor just like Moses was when he spoke on behalf of the, the Israelites. But unlike the Israelites who had to pay for their sins, our sins have already been paid for on the cross. You know, I mentioned earlier that I was, I was hit by a bus last year, and that's true. And uh, the bus is fine, in case you were wondering. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, after I got hit, I was... I was delivering mail, and I got hit in a mail truck, and you guys are, aren't familiar with those. They're like a, a, a pop can on a S10 body. So there was, there was nothing, <laughs> nothing uh, holding that bus back when it hit me. 
and it, it clobbered me pretty good. And it, it spun the truck around, and I went down in the ditch, and I got out of the truck and, and climbed up out of the ditch, and I was sitting on the bumper, and my legs were just absolutely mangled, and I was bleeding pretty bad. And they told me after the fact that, that they were genuinely shocked that I didn't bleed out at the scene. And as I was, I was sitting there, there was this older fellow holding on to me, holding me up right against the back of the truck. And uh, I told him, I was like, hey, man, I think I'm going to pass out. Because I wanted to be courteous and, and not tell him, hey, buddy, I think I'm getting ready to die right here in your arms. But I genuinely thought I was at that finish line. You know, I started getting tunnel vision, and I started seeing, like, TV static, like the black and white, and just everything started turning into fuzz. And I wasn't panicked. I knew in that moment I'd be okay. I just remember praying, God, please take care of my wife and daughter. I wasn't worried about me because I knew that my faith lied in Jesus. You know, like I said earlier, I might doubt God more than I can count. Every day I mess up, I spit in his face, and I'm like, God, I know better than you. But every day that I do that, I realize my mistakes. I pick myself up out of the dirt, and I brush myself off, and I say, God, please help me to be a better image bearer of you. Please help me to be a light in this dark world full of lies and blasphemy. And at the end of the day, I can confidently know when push comes to shove, when it comes to a matter of life and death, that my trust is fully in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. My salvation hinges on what he's done and what he's done alone. Nothing that I could do. And when I can trust God with the big things, then there should be no reason why I can't trust God with the small things too. You know, God is our perfect heavenly father. We are his children. He hears us. He cares about us. And we might feel otherwise, and I've said it once, and I'll say it a thousand times to all of you who are sick of hearing me say it. Feelings are fleeting. There is truth in the Word. There is truth in the Bible. And that truth is and will always be that God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on our place on that cross. His perfect Son. He took the punishment that we all deserve. It was cast on Him because He loves us so much and He cares about us so much that He willingly went to the cross. And in doing so, he defeated death, he defeated sin, and he rose from the grave on the third day, proving that he is our ever-victorious Savior. <coughs> Excuse me. So now at this, at this time, I just I want to take a moment. And if there's someone here today that's, that's been dealing with these trust issues, you know, that, that have been on the, on the fringe of, of trusting God, but you've not taken that leap of faith, that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I ask that you please come forward, that you please come talk to me, come talk to Scott, come talk to somebody. You know, I know it can be, be a hard thing to do to leave yourself vulnerable like that. But I, I promise it's, it's the best thing you can ever do. He is waiting for you with open arms. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, you don't have to get your life together. You don't have to clean yourself up to come before God. You don't have to, you know, that's a big misconception that we see in our area in the Bible Belt, that I've got to get my life lined out. 
I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this before I can come to God because I'm a sinner. Well, newsflash, buddy, we're all sinners. God loves us where we are, right here, right now, and he wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. See, when you put Christ first, when you put Christ at the center, everything else will slowly fall into place. You can start cleaning up afterwards. Meet the Savior right here, right now. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants that relationship with you. So if, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I promise you don't have to jump through all these hoops. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to clean yourself up. Just come talk to somebody. Say, hey, I'm ready. How do I do it? And we'll guide you. If you have questions, if you have doubts, come to us. Talk to us. You know, my, my degrees in biblical apologetics means that if you have difficult questions, I have answers. And if I don't have answers, I'll tell you the truth that I don't know, but I'll find out. Don't let our feelings, don't let our doubts hinder you from knowing our Savior. And when you put Jesus at, at the center of your life, everything else might be going sideways, but you can rest assured that you've been saved with Jesus' redeeming blood. So I ask in just a moment that you all join me in prayer that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that before they leave this building this morning, that they come to know him as their Lord and Savior. And if you're sitting here this morning and you have somebody in mind that you know that doesn't know Jesus, continue to pray for them. Invite them to church. Share your faith with them. Don't give up on them. Pray earnestly for them. Congregation, I ask that you please bow your heads with me as we pray silently, then I'll close us out. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that we were able to gather here this morning. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything that I've said that is contrary to your word, that it falls on deaf ears. But Lord, if there's any ounce of truth in the things that I've said this morning, I pray that it pierces the hearts of each and every one of us, myself included. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just pour over all of us, those of us that, that may not know you as our Lord and Savior. And I pray that those of us that do know you as our Lord and Savior, that your Holy Spirit just pours over us and gives us the confidence to live for you, to follow you, to pick ourselves up when we fall down and to continue to push forward in our faith, to continue to trust in you and to not worry about all the things going on in life and just know that you have our back in it. So in your heavenly name we pray, amen. Thank you, Christ Community Church. Until next time, God bless you. God be with you. Have a great week. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.